Oh yeah, here we go, practice acquisition. There are pitfalls throughout the entire process. If you want to buy a practice, this is how, folks. Acquisition Unscripted, the truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your host, Michael Dencio. Hey, hey guys, another great episode on Acquisition Uncensored. We are going to be deep diving into leases today and I've got an amazing speaker, great person to have in your camp as you approach leases on an acquisition. We covered things like how to negotiate a deal with an acquisition, much different than startup, just like startup uncensored. Acquisition uncensored, the lease has a different angle, different, um, uh, you have to have a different play to it. So we get into that. We talk about um, assignability and that's really a hot topic in, in the acquisition world of how to assign appropriately the lease over to you when the seller has a lease and you're gonna be assigning it. We talk about some deal killers. You cannot miss that part. There aren't a lot of them, but there are a few. And if you have those deal killers, in your lease on an acquisition, it is probably a done deal. No matter how great the acquisition is, you got to really consider walking away uh, if you have those things, a few things in your lease. So we cover a lot. Stay tuned. Let's get this party started. All right. All right. Another great episode here. Let's get it going. This is Acquisition Uncensored. I'm Mike Dincio. You guys know who I am. This is episode 10. And we are deep diving into the lease today. Um, if you've been following along in the, the entire season, you know we're working through the entire process from you know, how, how to find a practice and then all the way to close. And today's episode, uh, like I just said, is lease specific. And if there's anything that could be more of a deal killer in this entire process, it could be the lease. And so to have somebody like my guest uh, in your corner to navigate you through this process that 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 knows leases and understands where you can get into trouble it's it's these guys and 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 that's best practices folks and so we just came off of due diligence and LOI and and through that um, the lease is is a big thing that you need to ch- check into and really dig into so today, I am fortunate enough to have a friend of mine that um, that I've known for a while and have done lots of deals with. Um, he happens to work for the largest real estate uh, agency or company or however you want to say that in the country in dental, uh, Car Dan Gleisner with Car. He's a regional director there and um, he's a wealth of knowledge. Dan, thanks for being on the show, man. I, it's a pleasure. Good seeing well, you. Thank you. Yeah, it is a pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Talk everything lease. Lease, lease, lease. If you've ever heard Dan speak on the on the podium, you're in for a treat. The dude drops tons of knowledge. I love his uh, his nature and his uh, his sense of humor. It's it's a it's a it's a great dry sense of humor, and that's my style. If you don't like it, it is what it is. But Dan, you always make me laugh. So let's get right into it, though. I, I've learned that if we don't pop right into this, I start losing people. So. 
when you're looking at the lease on an acquisition, like, like let's walk through some, some of the biggest pitfalls because it's a tricky situation. Unlike a startup. And we talked about a lot of stuff in startup uncensored um, with leases. And we went through shark week and that whole craziness. This is a lot more strategic in my opinion. And you got to, and you've got to play your cards, right? So all the more reason why to have someone like a Dan uh, to help you navigate. So what are the pitfalls of a lease in an acquisition? I know that's a loaded question, but let's just see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, number one pitfalls, expectations on everyone's end from a timing perspective, because most times there's a lease already in place and the terms are what the terms are. And there's a time to negotiate and there's time not to negotiate, right? <laughs> for those that uh, been looking for the right practice for 18, 24 months, and you finally found one, it's not time to go in with guns blazing against the landlord in order to negotiate. That's not, that's not it. So timing is it. And then the appetite for the landlord to want to do the deal as crazy as it sounds. Because, what do you mean by that appetite? Yeah. Uh, for them to meet the timeline of the practice broker of the doctor's expectations, the seller expectations, uh, because they don't care. They usually have a tenant in place that's paying their rent on time in full. And in most cases, we're coming in with a doctor who's going to be riding off into the sunset, who's probably worth a couple million dollars. And the new doctor has a most likely a negative net worth with their student debt. So the securitization is not there from the landlord's perspective. And they're saying, hey, let's drop this warm, fuzzy blanket that's worth you know $5 million and bring on somebody that has a negative net worth of 500,000. Yeah, let's, that's huge. Um, let's, 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 let's break it down. Denzio style in layman terms, uncensored. Dan, Dan <laughs> tends to talk on another level. He's a super smart guy. So, so in, in, in really simple layman's terms, yeah, the landlord has someone already. That's the seller yep. in this yep. scenario. We tend to have a lot of buyers listen to our program. So buyers, you're the ones that have a negative net worth that Dan was talking about. So here we are, you're the buyer, you're trying to get the lease, the seller's already on the hook, the landlord already has a deal with that seller, and that seller has been paying their bills for years, and there's all kind of uh, safety there with the landlord. So why would a landlord, this is actually great because it kind of transitioned, why would a landlord want to work with a young doc with no business experience, negative net worth? Like, how do you get around that? Cause you're that's, right. That's a big problem. That's, that's the true negotiation. That's what we're trying to convince the landlord of. It's, we're not trying to come in and reduce base rent or get free rent or get tenant improvement allowance like we would on a, on a startup or a renewal. Uh, that's not it. We're trying to convince the doctor to say yes to the buyer. And in a best case scenario, we can get the seller removed from the lease, meaning that they're no longer a financial guarantor, that they're going to secure that, that lease. So it's, that's a lot of heavy lifting. And that probably happens probably 20% of the time. 20% of the time, I'd say that the selling doctor gets off the lease. So the expectation from a seller for those sellers that are watching, as much as you can get in the process of assignability into your lease, as you have the good faith and goodwill during negotiations, do it now. So you can get teed up so you can get removed off the lease. So you're, when you're sitting on the beach, sipping your mojitos, 
you don't have to worry about, Hey, I wonder if Dr. Smith is paying the rent because mm. if they're not, I'm on the hook. Yeah. Timing. You said timing is like the first pitfall. We're going to keep, I have a feeling we're going to keep coming back to yeah. that. So timing for the sellers to get their house in order before maybe they put it on the market for the buyer to inherit. So if they have that assignability, they can assign it over to the buyer. That's what I heard you say. Yep. So every, every lease has an assignability clause and it usually states something like, you know, based upon landlord's review financials and their approval. And if that happens, great. Uh, but again, in most cases, we have a seller who's worth a lot and a buyer that's worth not a lot. So it's not going to meet the criteria. So if there's a couple of scapegoats that we could have in there based upon lending or just get the, the guarantor removed as, as a whole uh, because the sellers had great history with the landlord, uh, then that's something that we can have while the landlord and seller have a relationship. At, at the very, you know, on the 18th hole, we try to get that done. It's not going to happen in most cases. So then a lot of both the seller, the seller's broker and the buyer are unhappy with the process because the lease is the number one time killer. Yeah, it is. You're right. Cause everybody thinks that the purchase and sale contract is the time, the time sucker. And it's, it's not, it's always the lease. It's the lease and the banks, the, the yeah, PSA it, flies. Cause especially if you have good attorneys. If you right. have good attorneys that do this on a day-to-day basis, I mean, and each side is represented well versus, you know, my uncle's an attorney, yeah. your uncle's an attorney, they shouldn't be doing the, the APA research. Actually, uh, that that's a good question, Dan. And I, sorry, I'm bouncing around. Um, do the attorneys handle that piece of it or do you? For, like, how's that work? Yeah. I think that's a really good thing to talk about because here we are saying car is going to help you. Um, and then the, and the buyers have an attorney and they're working with the PSA, the purchase and sale. And we talked to Robert Montgomery, who's the best in the industry on the show. And so that was a treat. And so does Rob handle that or does Dan handle that? Or how do you guys work together? Yeah. So, um, Rob's great. Rob's one of the best in, in the nation and I've uh, had great experience with Rob and his team. Um, I'm free. Rob's not. <laughs> for negotiation. And a lot of times uh, there's a lot of back and forth and rattling of cages and using the relationships that we have in each local market in order to get some headway with these landlords. Because if we've pulled a, a tenant out or put a tenant in, we have goodwill in some form or fashion with these guys and we can check or cash in our chips the right way in order to get some movement. So if you use relationships within local markets, then we can move the needle from a timing perspective. Everything's going to be ran through somebody like Rob to make sure the terms are good and everything lines up because you know we nothing happens out of a good attorney. So it's a team approach, but I'm the one usually spearheading the communications with the landlord and with their representation. I like to think that you guys, as the real estate kings, you look at leases, this is your whole world. Like it's literally your whole world not to take anything away from Rob or any of the attorneys out there, but if you're staring at leases every single day in the dental space, you would think that you would have some, some knowledge, you know, that, that others, others don't. Um, And so I think that that's a key, key thing here is you guys been doing this forever. You're the, you're the, you're the biggest and probably have done 
by far the most in the entire country as far as leases go. So having that experience definitely matters. I want to go back to one of the first points that you made, and that is there's a time to negotiate and there isn't a time to negotiate. And so I don't want to skip over that I, because, because I think experience matters, like I just said, yep. and having experience, you would know when to push and when not to. And can, yep. let's set the stage here because you really don't have that much uh, leverage in, in these deals. You, no. you might with a startup and that's a whole different conversation. Yep. So, yeah. So yeah, the, the stage is set that part of the goodwill that you're buying when you're buying a practice is the location and the familiarity from a lending perspective, from a patient's perspective, right? So the lender wants that goodwill when they're buying it. So I don't know of that many lenders out there that will allow you to buy a practice and relocate it right away because the way the lenders work is that they take the equity out of the practice. If you're buying the practice, you have zero equity within the practice. You're 100% leveraged. So there's, we can't relocate it. And the, in real estate, whoever has the most options wins. In this case, we can't have options unless there's a turnkey office right down the way, but there's still no guarantee that we can get yeah. the approval necessary. And it's going to be bluffing, which we don't love bluffing. So the process is understand what's the deal, how long you have to live with it. So if there's three years left on the lease and you have a five-year option, that's going to check the lender box so that we can move forward. So if the deal is out of whack, say it's, you know, X dollars above market, well, pay the freight for the three years and then we can re renegotiate that at the time. The landlord's not going to renegotiate the deal when there's three years left on the hook, when they know they're getting above market rent out of the goodness of their hearts. That's not how it works. So it's, and we can't get lost in fair. Real estate's not fair most often, right? Mm -hmm. We said, well, market is blank. Well, it, it, that doesn't matter because there's a three-year lease in place and the doctor's paying the rate. They're not going to reduce it. Go, let's go after the landlord in two years when there's a year left remaining on the lease and go get you the market concessions that you need and deserve. But right now, what we need is a lease so you can buy the practice. Yeah, that I think that, four. and that's the key right there, right? Is unfortunately, we already said the landlord is on the hook and they've been paying for years. Why would a landlord give a seller a buyer a better deal, they're not. Why would they? They already have a contract. That'd be like, that'd be like offering somebody a crown. And how, how can we relate this back? And and then someone, the same patient comes in and and I, I suppose says redo my crown, but it's a perfectly good crown. I mean, you, there's just no reason to do that. Why yeah, do redos if you don't have to? Yeah, what it, I mean, the analogy for the crown to be, yeah, you have to pay for a crown, but we're going to give it to you at a composite price. But it's not going to happen, mm -hmm. right? Like you're going to pay the full fee. You're going to pay the crown fee. Especially so, when the crown is is perfect. Yep. Why would you redo yeah. it? So, no so with that being said, okay, so we have, we have a situation where the landlord is not going to bite on any concessions, but then the buyer's on the, on the other end of this, uh, on the other end of this. Uh, mm -hmm. the audience listening is like, well, we'll screw this landlord. I'm about to commit to this dude or, or gal or landlord for maybe 10, 15, 20 years. So why wouldn't they want to lock down a good relationship with me for a long period of time? 
and give me a fair deal, fair, back to fair. Mm-hmm. What's, do you get into that situation with, with buyers? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, so in the real estate world, if you try to apply conventional wisdom, you're losing, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not fair. So that, that's where it's at. So yes, they are setting the stage for a 10 year relationship, but that's the brutal world of real estate is that everything's spreadsheet based, right? It's securization of the tenant, which they want a high net worth of whoever that's going to be. You're not, mm-hmm. most buyers are not checking that box and they want the highest lease rate possible, which most buyers don't want that. So we want the exact opposite of what the landlord wants, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. overall what the buyer wants is that practice. And you're not getting that practice unless you get that lease. So let's do what it takes to get that lease. And then when the timing is appropriate, go after them guns a blazing. And trust me, there's nothing more fun than being up a landlord, right? Like that's what I live and breathe for, right? <laughs> it's winning those deals, a very competitive nature, probably have a problem when it comes to that. But if we can do that, I want to do that. But we don't want to blow a deal because we're chasing fair. Okay. I think we've set the stage. That's perfect because a startup, it's almost like put, the, put on the gloves and let's go, right? Where an acquisition is, is the primary focus is getting the practice. And as long as this lease isn't totally, totally going to put me in a bad, bad spot, we need to move forward and and secure the business that we're buying within reason. And so that's the stage. I mean, if, if if I could summarize this first segment, the second segment in my mind of this conversation is what are the scenarios, dare I, I mean, this is, this is acquisition uncensored, so let's get uncensored. What are the scenarios where maybe it is a deal killer? Like, you know, as a buyer's rep, I've looked at all of the financials. We went through all the due diligence in previous episodes. We, we know our transition plan. The practice is cash flowing. The bank's approved it. Everything is moving forward, and this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Are there scenarios, and I think there are, I'm going to just say that, but are there scenarios where we look at a lease and we're like, oh shit, like we cannot move forward with this deal? Yeah, Uh, I'm experiencing one right now. It's a demo clause. So anybody in the Pacific Northwest gets gets to see a demo clause all the time uh, in Seattle, primarily uh, dealing with one in Denver currently where it's six months notice and they can terminate the lease. So you imagine you spend $800,000 on a practice, you are fully leveraged. You give you the six month warning, which you cannot go find a space and build it out within six months anywhere, yep. unless you have a perfect turnkey and you have no money to go get. You have to go projection based, potentially SBA lending at best. You're just, you're out there floating. It's the worst. So, demo clause means that uh, the landlord has the right to take back your lease. And then tear down the building so somebody can come in and do the next building. So uh, a demo clause is by will be a deal killer because you could be up a hill really really fast. Leading the witness here, what are creative ways demo clauses are in the lease? I've seen wording that's unique to demo clauses. Yeah, um, like the- recreational, <laughs> like development or just crazy. It's not, it's not a lot of the times it's called 
demolition clause. But yeah, or, or termination, early termination, landlord take back. I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. It's If the landlord has an option to give you notice of anything and take back the space, that's what you're looking for. So when you're taking on the lease for an assignment, you're, you're going to be assigning the, the lease and all of its amendments that the selling doctor has signed. So if the doctor's been in the space for 30 years, they did a 10-year 10, 10 original lease in 5555, like you have to go through all of those amendments and all of those leases to make sure what's there and what you're getting into. And a lot of times sellers don't have all the original documents. Mm-hmm. And most cases over a 30-year period, uh, that building's changed hand multiple times. Yeah. So the new landlord probably doesn't have all the documentation either. So sometimes it's just safer to do a brand new lease so you can make sure that all the writing is in front of you and it makes sense. All right, so we'll get to that. We'll get to the new leases. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we'll get to a new. So demo clause. Yep. Anything else that you can think of that's like, whoa, that's that's a problem. Uh, it could be pass through expenses, uh, you know, surprises of how things are going to come through in taxes and in cams, common area maintenance. Uh, because you want consistent charges is what you want. Like it's, you know, CPI indexes right now would be a big scary thing for me because if you're on a CPI index from an annual increase, meaning that the base lease rate is X and the next year calendar year will increase per the CPI index. Well, inflation year over year is a little over 8%. And uh, 8% increase is, is a high dollar amount, high, high dollar amount. So you want to be protected on know what you're going to be spending because you can, again, be in a situation where your cash flow is just eaten. Because if it comes from the rent, that fixed expense is just going to eat into the doctor's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably both startup and acquisition scary right there. Um, Okay. Anything else that you could think of deal killers? I mean, I can't think of that many, but you're right. Those, those two are, can definitely the demos like that's that's an easy one yeah you want to be able to control your future and when you sign a lease you want that want that time and uh, in most cases if you sign a five-year lease that lease is going to roll and stay consistent if the building changes hands 15 times legally that lease is going to stay in place so you know that you have a home for the next five years you just want to make sure there's no take back option and then you want to be able to control those expenses so if you have escalators in your lease which 99 percent of the leases do you want to make sure those are controlled, a 2%, 3%, 5%, whatever it's going to be. So you know from a cash flow perspective what you're getting into. And maybe even a cap if you can, right? Mm. <laughs> you're like, good luck with that. Yeah. It's and- a, it's an it's really interesting, right? I, I'm Dan, Mr. Dan here could 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 tell you the differences between all the different markets across the country. And you know, inflation's definitely a, a hot topic today with and you know, timestamp. We're in, in 2022 here and inflation's, you know, the cost of bread is out of control right now, gas specifically, but who knows, you know, it's going to change over the years, but, but inflation is definitely something that people are looking at when you look at leases. And so controlling that. Um, okay. I'm, I'm thinking about something else here. So would you say you said 20% of the time seller gets off the lease? Yeah. It's not a very high, so that's 80% sellers still on the lease and on the hook. So that tells me just logic that 80% of the time or more, we're assuming an existing lease and not doing a new lease, right? 
Yep. Yeah. Okay. So pros and cons quick, quickly of a new lease versus assigning a lease. And, and I know we covered a lot of that already, but yeah. So uh, if you're going to sign the lease, it's the fastest way to do a deal uh, for both the seller and the buyer. Uh, seller perspective, uh, doing a new lease would be way easier because they're off the hook. Doing a new lease from a buyer's perspective, most oftentimes will give you an opportunity to negotiate if you're going to do a new lease. So there's that opens up the window, uh, but that's that's a rare situation that a landlord would want to do a new lease. Yeah, I you brought up banking, so so the banks. I don't know if Morgan at Provide, who we interviewed not not too many episodes ago, if we talked about this. What are you finding that the banks are requiring these days? I know there's a pretty big spread. Is it still 10 years is kind of what we're shooting for? So five years on paper is the minimum is what we're seeing in most cases. And this could be uh, a one-year lease with four one-year options. It's just five years on paper as a whole, right? That's not, that's not, that's not a safe thing if you're buying that lease or you're buying that practice and the lease comes with it. That's not going to give you the warm fuzzies that you're going to be there for the next five years to build equity within the practice and pay it off. But that's what you need as a minimum. Uh, 10 years is, uh, would be uh, matching the loan term, which a lot of lenders would like that. They'd like a five year lease with a five year option to protect their investment in that space and, and give the security that they can build equity in that practice. But uh, it's, it's usually all over the board, five years is a minimum. Okay, so new, to recap, new leases, you might have some more leverage or you might be able to get into some negotiations. Mm-hmm. You probably could easily secure, well, nothing's easy, but easier to secure a longer period of, a longer term, quote unquote, with the lease, right? Um, but that's going to take a lot longer to put together than, so that's the downside of, of assigning. Assigning is like you're inheriting this other lease. And then you're putting together, with your help, you're putting together options to either make up for what the bank's looking for or just, it shouldn't really be about the banks. I, You know, I was a banker. Everybody knows that. It shouldn't be about the banker's roles. It should be about what you want. Like, why would anybody want to buy a practice and only sign a five-year lease? Like, you really want to move in four years? Because you got to start thinking about moving in four years if your lease is in five. So that doesn't make sense. It really should be about what you want, not about what the bank wants. But if you assign, then you're putting options together, right? Yeah. So it is, unfortunately, it's usually what the bank wants is what the doctor wants and the doctor wants to practice. So, and the the bank's going to dictate, you know, what it takes to get that practice Uh, for committing to a space that only has a three-year lease remaining with a two-year option or five-year option, whatever, that's going to probably put you in the best scenario. Like if that's it, you should be excited about that because you're going to have enough term on paper that you can get approved for financing. And then it's, you're going to be able to be in there for two years to evaluate your future in that practice. And then, and with that year remaining on the lease, go after 10 improvements or say, Hey, I want to buy something or I I need less space, more space, whatever the requirement's going to be. So I think that that's a position of power. So it's, you know, committing to a 10 year term, that's a full decade when you're buying the practice, which there's a lot there. That's just, it feels like a forever statement. 
So it's have, have the options, right? Go after five years, evaluate your process, evaluate the future, make sure everything is in line up with where you want to be, and then choose your real estate path then. Your recommendation is secure yourself five years to get your, your, your feet underneath you. Yep. And then when you get close to that fifth year, what, a year before? Yep. What would you say? Yeah, about 12 months. 12, yeah, months. Okay, 12 so, months before is take a look and, and figure out what you want to do. And then start coming, then come from that position of power is what you're saying. Yep. And because that's really where you guys are going to really shine the brightest is coming into a scenario like that, where even though you're probably not going to move, you could at least threaten that you would, right? Yeah. We're going to go to market. We're going to negotiate on multiple properties regardless, right? So you're going to, the, the buyer who's going to be now the tenant is going to be educated what's going on. And they're going to see offers from multiple spaces so they can ensure that they're getting the best terms possible. And then we can leverage these landlords against each other, even though that's a 99.99% chance that they want to stay and they don't want to do a project. And the other reason why we want a five-year term is that it allows them to pay down their debt. Because once you buy a practice, you're hundred percent leveraged. You have to have some equity within a practice in order to do a project. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to do projection-based lending, which is that much more complicated. So you want enough time to get your feet underneath you, like you said, and pay down some of that loan so you can have options and plan for the future. See guys, I don't, I just want to give kudos where kudos are due. Dan's talking about things that, that almost don't even sound like real estate. He's talking about things that like set you up for success. Don't put you in a position where you're going to get screwed or get, you know, burnt. Like it's not about the best deal or fair deal in the market. It's about finding partners like Dan and, and many folks at car that they have that, that help them do what they do. Understanding your world as a dentist, like that's an invaluable thing because you just heard him. He's like, just secure your deal. Don't negotiate. Like that's wisdom. That's experience. I, uh, kudos to to Dan and, and, and everybody at car, you, you guys understand that. I, I just wanted to throw that out because it's not just about the lease and the terms and, and negotiating. It's about when to press and when not to press. It It literally goes back to that first statement you said when we started the program, it's yeah. so key, but it's such a loaded, such a loaded thing. Um, hey, before we, we run out of time, uh, one thing that I get that I don't even quite get very well is options. Options are confusing because you think, okay, just because you secured the space for that period of time, that doesn't mean this, that the terms stay exactly the same. So can you clear up this whole thing about options? And I think it's really important topic for an acquisition podcast because yeah. options are uh, what 95% of the time going to have to be added on to a lease or, you know, even if it is a new lease, you're probably going to have some options at the end of that. Yep. If it's, if you're assigning a lease, you're going to definitely have some options. So options like is an option really uh, like a secure thing for these buyers. I, it's kind of a yeah. false security, isn't it? Like walk me through that. Yeah. Options are all over the board. And the reason why we want an option is your securization in the space that the landlord can't come and lease it out from underneath you at the end of your term. That essentially you have first right for the space. 
And a lot of times it'll say options at then market rates, right? And that's kind of what we'd like to see in, a, in an option is that because if you commit to a annual escalator five years from now, we don't know what, what the market's going to be. So at then market rates is a little bit of protection from like, you're not going to get overexposed. You're not going to be underexposed either. You're going to be fair. And that's a, a, mar- that's an, a term that we like to chase is fair. So if, if you, but if you commit to 3% escalators, which is a very standard percentage, and I think we see a lot of those going up to four or 5% right now, given the market, uh, that it's, you know, in six years or year six, that your rent, if you elect to take it, will just continue to increase at that 3%. So it's, the option is there for your protection. The option is also there for you to get a loan done. <laughs> and that option is something that you don't have to take either. So Okay. So, so it really secures the time that you can be in the space yep. so that you don't have to go get another loan. Like you said earlier in the episode, another loan to build out later. And that's going to be five, six, seven, 800,000 or more. Yep. Like imagine throwing that on top of your acquisition loan in two years. Like that's what Dan was saying earlier. And so the option really secures your spot, but the terms, Dan, the terms are negotiable. uh, Are they like, is that how that works? Yeah. So it's at at that time during a renewal process. So if you do a five-year with a five-year option, come year four is when we're going to renegotiate. And it depends on when the term is going to be or what the market is, is at. So it's come four years from now, then we can start deciphering like, yes, we can, let's continue at 3% escalators or let's try to bring the price down a dollar per square foot or, you know, whatever the market's going to be, but we can't know until we're there. There's no crystal ball. So that gives you a little bit of freedom versus locking you up in an economic crisis is not the right word, but if you're, if you're overspending for your space, I mean, that's just eating to your cash flow. Okay. So if a landlord is silly enough to, give you some guarantees at the option place like how can you secure probably difficult to do but if you had like you in the corner are there things that you could build into the option where maybe you could predefine what the rates are going to be they, they probably won't let you but are so, there ways to do that yeah there can you can try to negotiate that everything's negotiable that's the beauty of real estate that's why i love it so it's anything's on the table you've got to pick and choose your battles so if that's one of your battles you want to go pick and choose and go chase, then we can go do that. The likelihood that they're going to commit to a re- reduction in rate is incredibly low. Like you said, it's going to be very, very difficult. You're better off just if taking the term and saying, hey, instead of committing for five with another five, I'll commit to seven or I'll commit to 10 if I can see a reduction come year five. So if you're willing to do that, that's more apt than the landlord saying, yeah, I'm just going to you know, have you take the option of paying less rent in the future. That's key. That's really key. Last thing about options. So do you ever get TI or, or spruce up a spruce up budget? No, On an option, not built into the lease. Uh, when you renew and do a new term, that's when the, that's when the free rent or any concessions like a spruce up budget would come into play. So that's a pro that's a pro for getting a new lease. Mm-hmm. And a con, so to speak, for assigning that you can't get any free rent or, or I mean, you can ask, like Dan said, any, everything's on the table. But the truth is, is you just, you just don't, 
you just you, don't have much to go. You want go the by. practice, the practice. Not the good deal. Cause most people will say, I want a good deal and a practice. You can't have both in most cases. You got to choose one or the other and choosing a good deal can cost you the practice. And that's not where we're at. We got to get the practice done. Uh, guys, I think that's the key to this whole episode, because if you hired somebody that's just young gun looking for a commission, maybe a local broker trying to cut their teeth and do a really good job for you. They're, you know, they're, that's a very dangerous situation for an acquisition. Yep. Bottom line. And so working with car folks that understand the industry, folks that understand transitions and startups, you're not going to kill your deal. And, and I'm going to be honest, as an ex-banker, never as a consultant, thank goodness, I'm waiting for that day. But I, I, there have been deals when I was a banker that, that something got blown up because someone was getting a little rambunctious on the lease of an acquisition. We've all heard those stories and the buyer was really disappointed. And I've even been a part of deals where a real estate person that did understand dental definitely didn't work for car and went and tried to create leverage in an acquisition. It went out to the market hedged that that we were going to leave. And it actually went so bad where the deal got worse by the end of it. (laughs) So it was bad news. Yeah. A lot of doctors don't realize that if we open up the negotiation door, where the deal is at does not mean it's just only going to get better. It can absolutely go the other other direction. It can go, it can get worse. Cause if you're, if you want to open that door, you have to expect both things to happen. Mm-hmm. You mentioned free, Dan. I don't like the word free. No. I don't believe in the word free. I think everybody deserves what they deserve for their knowledge. I still don't understand this whole concept. And we've had this conversation before you deserve what you deserve because you know what you know, but help me out, help me and my listeners understand what free means in in Dan Gleisner and car world. Yeah. uh, As far as commissions go. So commissions are paid by landlords or sellers at the time of closing. And a lot of times they're an acquisition. Our services are free and we don't get paid. It's goodwill to pay into a relationship knowing that come year three, four, five, 10, nine, whatever it's going to be that we have an opportunity to go to bat for you and then go earn that next deal. So it's, it's a lot of times it's goodwill. Um, if any, if any broker saying, Hey, my flat rate is 10 or $15,000 uh, in order to elect the services, you know, call someone else. That'd be my suggestion because it's, you got to put goodwill in here. The dental community is very tight. Um, and it's, it's a great community. I wouldn't trade this industry for anything else. So goodwill just comes around. I, the key there is you're in it for the long term. You're in it for the long haul, the long relationship. That's, that's really important because this isn't going to be the first time they're going to need you. They're going to need you multiple times throughout their career. And if you did get an assignment, which 80 by our numbers today, 80% or more do get assigned, you're, you're going to need them pretty you listener is going to need a Dan at car to step in before that assignment, that term uh, shuts down. So they're in it for the long haul. Um, You're right. That deal that went kind of South, they were after a fee. And, and again, 
I told, I just said, like, I don't believe in, in free. However, because he took a fee, he felt the need to get a better lease because once you pay, once you, once you pay for that exchange, it's like, Oh man, I got to work my butt off. And the whole thing, not that Dan wouldn't, but, but they're trying to justify an ROI for their client. So they try to go get leverage and they did all these creative things because they were trying to leverage their fee and not feel like a scumbag for charging you that fee. And yeah. in the end, the deal got worse. It was, it was, it was terrible. So I appreciate the, the free thing that you guys are offering because you know that there's opportunity later on down the road. And we know buyer rep, attorney, practice broker, banker, us individuals in the community know that if cars on the deal, they're not going to, they're not going to blow the deal up because they're in it for the long haul. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. That's Give us an opportunity to go earn that fee on down the road because I guarantee we will. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, I think that's the perfect uh, time to segue to the close. Fine, final thoughts, Dan, I'll give you the, the last few minutes here. Final thoughts of anything else you want to add to this whole topic? Yeah, uh, when buying a practice, it's a whirlwind and there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of time. So the earlier you can get involved with the lease part, let a professional do it. And make sure somebody's in your corner. Uh, during acquisition from the buyer side, there's not a lot of people in your corner. So we we would be exclusively on your on your team or fire find a real estate professional that will just be exclusively on your team that do, doesn't represent landlords, that doesn't have the seller's best interest at heart, that has your best interest at heart and get to work on the process because it's so frustrating when everyone's ready to close and that lease is not done yet or the assignment's not done yet. So it's going to take longer than you expect and it's not always going to be fair. That's it. So that's, and that's really the takeaway, right? It's the goal is to get a deal done, not the best deal done. The best deal will come when it's time, but get the practice that you've been seeking and get your doors open, get to know that patient base and start crushing. Wisdom, golden nuggets. Dan, I couldn't have had a better guest for this segment. Thank you so much, brother. How do people get a hold of you? We're going to, we are going to have details below here, uh, show note in the show notes, and we're going to have contact information and website information and all of that. But what's the easiest way to get a hold of you guys? Yeah. Uh, call or email. It's, okay. it's the best. If, if you're looking for a broker, there's a, you can go to car.us and find the broker tab and go to your specific market. Um, email, text, call. I mean, whatever for, for me, happy to answer any questions. Car with two R's. C-A-R-R dot U-S. Bam. There it is, folks. Th- Dan, thanks so much for your time, brother. I always appreciate our time. You're a busy guy and you, you carved it out today for us just to give back to the community. And that's what this program's about is education. And um, that's what you did today. You educated us. So thanks so much, my friend. Have a great one. And we'll talk to you on the other side. Yeah, I appreciate the platform. And it was a pleasure. See you, buddy. See you.
Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Unscripted. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dencio. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.